My wife and I are now entering the stage of our lives where we have a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. If you know what I'm talking about, please pray for us. Because this is a, a tiring stage. In fact, I think we are experiencing a severe medical condition called we don't sleep. Like we just don't sleep. The kids, they just, it's craziness in the back household. And they are certainly giving us a run for our money. Uh, my three-year-old, she's my daughter, Presley. She just turned three. And I'm telling you, it was like a switch. This girl went from two years old to like 16 years old on her third birthday. And then Knox, he's now one and a half. It's crazy to even say that. He's going to be two in November. And it is craziness in our home. They have entered into the stage of their lives where they don't like to hold our hands. They don't want to hold on to us at all. So this can actually be like very, very crazy in public settings because we'll be walking in the parking lot and they don't want to hold our hands. So they're trying to run off into the parking lot. We're at the beach. They don't want to hold our hands. So they just want to run on into the ocean. They just want to run everywhere. And we kind of live in this constant state of fear of what is going to happen if they just run off. Like they're just going to disappear. Like they just kind of keep going and going and going and going. We've been tempted to buy those backpacks with the leashes on it. You know what I'm talking about. Those backpacks, because we just need to hold on to them. We're afraid of letting them go. And I share this parent confession with you because I believe we share a similar sentiment when it comes to the topic of faith. When we talk about faith in Christian circles, often we can talk about faith as if faith is something that we need to hold on to. That it's a possession that we need to hold on to because if we don't hold on to our faith, then our faith might just slip away and we may lose our faith. This is often how we talk about the topic of faith. But what we're going to see tonight is a biblical view of what is faith. Like honestly, what is faith? We use the word all the time. Different people have different meanings and definitions for faith. And so we're going to see two main things tonight. We're going to see what faith is and how faith works. What faith is and how faith works. The title of our message tonight is Finding Faith. Look to the person next to you and say, let's find some faith. Let's find some faith. What faith is, we're going to read again verses 1 through 3. Here, the writer of Hebrews is telling us exactly what faith is. In fact, here in Hebrews chapter 11, the word faith is used 24 times in Hebrews chapter 11. It is a big theme that the writer is trying to get across. And he begins the chapter by saying in verse 1, that faith is the assurance or your Bible might say the substance of things hoped for, the conviction, or your Bible might say the evidence of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation, and by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of the things that are visible. What is faith? What is faith? Well, here we're told that faith, number one, faith isn't blind. Faith isn't blind. We're told that our faith has evidence. We also know that our faith isn't just wishful thinking or positive thinking, but that faith, there's substance to our faith. 
But what does the word faith actually mean? I want to dig deep into this word here in the Greek. The word here in the Greek for faith and throughout most of the New Testament, the word for Greek is a word It sounds kind of crude in the English, but it's pistis. This is the word in the Greek for faith. And this word is not a noun in the Greek. So a noun is a person, a place, or a thing, aka a possession. That is not what this word in the Greek is. In fact, it is a verb. It's an action. It's an experience. This is what it is in the original language. Now, the root word of the word pistis is the word pytho. Everyone say pytho. Now, this is really, really interesting because the word pytho, if you look up a lexicon or a concordance, you'll read that the word pytho means this, to persuade, i.e. to induce one by words to believe. To persuade. Everyone say persuade. Therefore, we're told that faith is not a possession. Faith is actually persuasion. Now, this is interesting. What is faith? Faith is not a possession. Faith is persuasion. In other words, faith isn't something that we need to muster up inside of us to be people of faith. People people of faith are people who have been persuaded. Now, this is actually really cool. Because people in the world... Non-Christians, atheists, scientists, they laugh at Christianity and they say that we as Christians, we're ignorant, we're foolish to hold on to this faith. They say that our faith is blind, but that's not what the Bible tells us when it comes to faith. Faith speaks of persuasion, persuasion that is based on substance and evidence. Now, everyone exercises faith. In fact, consider for a moment magnetism. Magnetism. Here in my pocket, my three-year-old and my one-and-a-half-year-old, they love to play with these, uh, I forget what they're called right now, magnetiles. It's really, really, I think I actually enjoy playing with them more than my kids do. These magnetiles, you just, you know, they come in like squares and, and triangles and you can put them together and you can create structures and whatnot. But magnetiles are magnetic. Now, ma- magnetism is really interesting because scientists say it's a physical phenomenon, magnetism is, in which these, these magnetic charges, these electric charges that are attracting and repelling, it just bewilders scientists of what magnetism, how it actually works. Now, the thing with magnetism is we can't actually see the power or the force of magnetism. But here, what I have is I have two magnets and we have the evidence of magnetism. So the evidence is right here before our eyes that there are some forces that are keeping these two different squares together. So the evidence is right here before us, but we can't actually see the force of magnetism. Think for a second, consider gravity. Can we see gravity? No, but we can see the effects of gravity. Gravity pushes us down. Do we feel like anyone's pushing us down? Can we sense anything pushing us down? Yes, we can sense this, sense it, but we can't see it. We see the effects of it. There is evidence of gravity, but we can't see it. Consider for a second wind. Wind, we can't see wind, but can we see the effects? Can we see the evidence of wind? Yes, we can. Think for electricity. 
We can't see electricity, but can we see the effects? Can we see the evidence of electricity? All around us. We use it all the time. So what are we doing? There is a substance of something that we cannot see. There's evidence before us, and therefore we exercise what? Faith. And in fact, what the evidence does is the evidence persuades us to believe in it. And so we are persuaded by magnetism, by gravity, by wind, by electricity. We're persuaded because we see the evidence all around us. Therefore, we have absolutely no problem believing in those things. Well, here, when it comes to the subject of faith, faith is not a possession. Faith is persuasion. We see the effects and the evidence of God all around us, yet we can't see God with our own eyes. Are we crazy? No. Everyone exercises faith. Everyone uses faith. Everyone experiences faith. And faith is not a possession, but faith is persuasion. In fact, consider for a moment Jude in verse 3. In the book of Jude, we read this. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Everyone say delivered. Therefore, faith wasn't something that the saints mustered up. It wasn't something internal inside of them that they had to figure out themselves. But faith was delivered to them. They were persuaded in faith. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he speaks that about faith, that faith is not from ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we read this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So faith is not found within ourselves. Faith isn't something that we need to muster up and hold on to in us. Faith is actually persuasion. Faith is a gift and grace are both gifts from God himself. So faith is not a possession. Faith is persuasion. Faith is now found, not found in us, but we're persuaded in faith. In fact, the idea carries this idea of this, of, of, of this word in the Greek, pytho, to be persuaded, to be convinced by one's words. It's like a lawyer that's appealing to a jury. The jury wasn't at the crime scene. The jury didn't see what actually happened. But what does the lawyer do? The lawyer appeals to them with what? Evidence. With substance. And once the lawyer is done appealing to the jury... The jury then is either persuaded or not persuaded to believe the lawyer. Does this make sense? They're being persuaded to place their faith in what he's saying. And so here, the idea of faith is not a possession, but it's persuasion. And who is the persuader? The persuader is not us. We don't need to persuade ourselves. The persuader is God. God is the divine persuader. In fact, faith begins with God. Faith begins with God. Let me read to you Romans chapter 1. Paul the Apostle speaking says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus. The gospel is the message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What does that mean? It means that when this message is presented, what God does is he persuades the hearers through that message to place their faith in him. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, which means to be made right with God. And it is by faith in faith. So the gospel is how God persuades us to trust in him. Faith begins with God. God is the initiator of faith. Faith does not originate in us. We don't need to muster up faith or even hold on to faith as if faith is a possession. Faith is persuasion and God is the great persuader. As the evidence is all around us, God persuades us to trust in him. In fact, I believe in this so much that if you invite a non-believer, an unbeliever, a family or friend here into this place, and as the preacher comes up and I present the gospel, I trust that God is the one who's already been persuading them in their hearts to place their faith in him. This is how good our God is. God is the great persuader. And this is good news because this doesn't mean that we, this means that we don't have to muster up faith in ourselves. That we don't have to be worried like I am of my kids of getting some rope that I need to hold on to my faith. Otherwise my faith is going to go missing or my faith is going to slip away. No, every time I look at, at who God is and who Jesus is, there I can experience divine persuasion by God and my faith can increase. So faith, pythos, is to persuade, to induce one by words. That's why in Romans chapter 10, we read that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Because when we're presented with the word of God and with his evidence, our faith is increased. Our faith is increased to not trust in ourselves, but to trust in him. What this means is that there are no super saints. Remember what we've been studying there in 1 Corinthians? These super saints, or in 2 Corinthians, those super saints that were coming into the church of Corinth and these super saints were exercising this super authority on the people? Well, here we see in Hebrews chapter 11, all these people, it's by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Will anyone can increase in faith because faith isn't something, it's some ability inside of us as we get our eyes on God and on who Jesus is and on his gospel. There our faith can increase. Therefore, we all have the same opportunity to increase our faith because God is the originator of faith. Because faith begins with God. Because God is the divine persuader. Application to our lives, with our kids, with our grandkids, with our co-workers, with our family, with our friends. 
Yes, we should have persuasive arguments. Sure, we should know. We should contend for the faith. But we can believe that God is really the great persuader. I don't need to force someone into believing in Jesus. God will persuade them to believe in Him. God is really good at doing this. God's really good at it. The Bible says that the firmament, the heavens, declare His majesty, His glory. The evidence is truly all around us. God is constantly persuading people to place their trust in Him. So faith, what faith is, faith is persuasion, not possession. This is what faith is. When we experience who God is, when we encounter the living God, it is there that faith can happen. This is amazing because God is the one who will draw us in. In fact, did you know in Romans chapter 2 that Paul the Apostle says that no man searches after God? Romans chapter 2 says no one searches after God. What's that tell us? God is the initiator. God is the one who is searching after you and everyone around you. God is the one that's searching after you. And what do we do? We respond. But faith begins with God. In fact, a few months ago, I got to talk on Hebrews chapter 11 with some of our men's ministry. And we looked at this idea that in order to be people of faith, what we have to do is we first inhale grace. We inhale grace. What do I mean by that? Well, when we're presented with who God is, when we see God, when we're presented with the gospel, we're presented with grace. That God is searching after us. That we don't have to search after God. That we we don't have to try harder and work more and do a lot. But that God's actually searching after us. And when we actually see God for who He is, and we experience the message of His gospel, and we experience His grace, we inhale grace... I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm chosen, my God is good. I inhale grace and then I exhale faith. God, I believe in you. God, I will follow you. God, I will obey you. God, I will trust you. But where does it all start? It initiates, it begins with who? Not us, with God. We inhale his grace and we exhale faith. We inhale His grace, His goodness, His gospel, who He is, and then we exhale faith. We inhale the evidence, He's been faithful to me, just as we sang, and then we exhale faith, I can continue to follow you. We allow God to persuade us, and then we can be people of faith. As we study Hebrews chapter 11, each of these individuals, they see the evidence of God all around them. God meets them. God makes himself known to them. And then they respond in faith. And so faith is persuasion. It's God divinely persuading us to trust in him as we see his goodness, as we see his power, as we experience the goodness we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We inhale grace and we exhale faith. Faith is God persuading us. I believe even as Christians, as we walk with Jesus, God is constantly persuading us more and more. As we see who God is, he's constantly persuading us to trust him a little bit more. With this part of my life, with that part of my life, 
with this part of my hurt, with that failure, with that fear, with that situation, with that sin, with that struggle. As we see God for who he is, he persuades us to place our faith in him. So faith isn't a noun. It's not a possession that we hold. Faith is actually a verb. It's in action. As we are persuaded by God, we then respond in faith. We inhale his grace and we exhale faith. This is what faith is. So how does faith work? How faith works. We see this as we continue in our text. We see in verse 4, we read, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So the first person that pops up is a guy named Abel. Now, Abel is a really, really interesting character in the Bible because Abel is the second person who has ever been born into this world. If you remember the story of Genesis, we have two people, Adam and Eve, that God created. Adam and Eve were created by God and God said it was very good. And he placed them in the garden, a place of paradise. And he says, you can have dominion, you can have authority, you can rule over everything you see. The odds were in their favor, he said, except for one thing. One thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man, there was a bad day. Like Eve had a very bad day. What Eve did is she went up and we have this tendency to go up to the place that was off limits. She goes up to the tree and she's like, but I like that tree. It's a really nice tree. It looks really good. And then what happens? We read that the devil, a serpent, he comes up in, in the form of a serpent and he comes up. And he's like, that tree is good. What did God say? No, you won't surely die. Take and eat. And what does she do? She rebels against God. What does the devil do? He persuades her to place her faith in him. For a moment there, her faith, she looks over to the devil. And there she takes and she eats. And it was a bad day. Sin entered into the picture. Shame entered into the picture. And what do we see happen is that they're embarrassed. They're exposed. And so they go and hide from God. And there, what does God do? God initiates a rescue mission already. There he is, the initiator. Faith beginning with God. Once again, here, what does God do? He's saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? He's searching for Adam and Eve. He's searching after them. Were they searching? No. Bible says no one searches for God. No one seeks after God. Here, Adam and Eve are, they're not seeking after God. They're hiding from God. And their God is searching after them. God brings the consequences of their action. And then what he does is he gives them this prophetic promise. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, we, re we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skins and clothed them. You ever caught that before? What that means is he takes a sacrifice. God there in the... He, Makes a sacrifice. He kills an animal. He sheds blood. 
What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. There's a consequence for their sin. And so what does he do? He kills an animal. He sheds blood, but then he clothes them in the tunics of the animal. A beautiful picture of the shed blood of Jesus, where we will be clothed and robed in his righteousness. There, right after the failure, the prophetic promise once again. But what happens? They're clothed. And so they're clothed. They're exited out of the garden, which is actually an act of grace because, because God didn't want them to live in, a, in an eternal state of death and dying and decay. And so God puts a time limit on it. He sends them out of the garden and they have two kids. The first is Cain. Now Eve was real excited about Cain. Cain, she thought, man, maybe this is the prophetic promise. Maybe this is the man in whom God was talking about and Cain was born. And then the second born, Abel. Now we read that Abel and Cain both brought offerings to the Lord. Now, this is really, really intriguing because follow with me for a second. Faith begins with God. By faith, Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice. Faith is what we're talking about. Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does it mean? How did Abel come to faith? Well, it seems as if one day he asked mom, dad, why are you clothed? Where do you get those clothes from? It seems as if Adam and Eve had to have told Cain and Abel about their clothing. They were clothed. They were marked by this sacrifice that God had made for them. They were marked by this sacrifice that they were wearing. It seems that they had created some kind of pattern. They've handed down to their sons that they need to bring offerings to God. And so we read that Cain brought offerings from a field. And we read that Abel brought a firstborn sacrifice of these lambs to God. And Abel's was the acceptable sacrifice. But where did Abel's faith originate? from seeing those clothes, from seeing the sacrifice there on his parents. In other words, the evidence was all around him. God had initiated faith to Abel through his parents. He had seen the evidence. Abel had seen the evidence of God. We don't know if Abel actually saw God. He might have. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we know certainly he saw the evidence of God. We might not see the, the, the actual force of magnetism, but we see the evidence that it is here, right? Well, so too, Abel saw the evidence that God had met his parents, that he had met Adam and Eve. They were wearing the evidence and he then believed, he responded, and we see that faith is now in action. See, faith always works. Faith always moves. If we're actually persuaded by the evidence, then we will respond in action. Faith and action are inseparable. If we are truly people who believe, have faith, we will move in action. For the Bible says that the devil and the demons, they even believe. So what makes faith faith is that faith moves. Faith actually moves. Faith is in action. And so we read that Abel brings an acceptable sacrifice. Abel offers this sacrifice, but he's commended for his faith. 
He's commended for believing in the evidence of the persuasion. He's not simply commended for the sacrifice or the work. He's commended for his faith, for believing in the persuasion, which is seen in action through the sacrifice. Now, Cain, Cain doesn't seem to believe. Cain isn't moved by faith. Cain is more trusting in his own ability and his own logic than being persuaded by God himself and the evidence that's right there in front of him. Cain misses out. Cain's fate ends up being tragic. But Abel responds in faith. He saw the evidence. He responds in faith. Abel was persuaded and now faith is moving. Faith is in action. But all Abel is doing is worship. That's all it is. It's an act of worship. Notice this, that Abel, the first person here in what we call the hall of faith, all he's doing is worshiping. Moments ago, I looked up into the room, I saw all of you worshiping. Responding in faith. Moving your body in action. Singing out to the Lord. Lifting up holy hands. Giving the the sacrifice of your lips to Jesus. Faith in action. Here you are. No different than Abel. All Abel is doing is worshiping. He was persuaded. He responds in action. He's worshiping and he's recorded here in the hall of faith. It's important to understand that faith does move. In fact, James chapter 2 verse 17, you know the verse. Well, it says, so also by faith, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. So notice though, it's not faith and works that save us. It's not faith without works that saves us. It's faith that works. It's faith that works. Faith moves. Faith and action are inseparable. Faith will move us. We see this in Abel. Consider as we continue to read Enoch. Here is Enoch. Read with me in verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. By faith, Enoch, what did he do? He simply walked with God. Look at the lives of these two men here. Abel and Enoch. Abel worshipped. Enoch walks. And here they are recorded in the Hall of Faith. Do you begin to see that we're actually not much different than these ordinary people? Worshiping and walking with God. What made this extraordinary for them to be in here is they had faith in an extraordinary God. Enoch was persuaded to walk with God. In fact, that would be persuasive. To walk with God every single day, what would you do? You would continue to be persuaded and persuaded and persuaded and persuaded. Your faith would increase and increase and increase and increase and increase. And so he walked with God until he was not. You know that Abel or Enoch was alive for 365 years, a year for every day of the year. Beautiful picture. God desires for us to walk with him every day of the year. As we walk with God, as we see who God is, remember, faith begins with God. It is then that we'll be persuaded. Are you lacking faith today? Are you lacking faith? Do you feel like faith is slipping from you? That you may be close to losing faith? 
Simply walk with Jesus. That's all it is. Now, this is the thing. Any of us can walk. We can walk with him. Walking isn't something extraordinary. Walking is actually ordinary, but it's with an extraordinary God. Any of us can walk. Any of us can worship him. And here they are, faith. As we are with God, there our faith will increase. Faith begins with God. Enoch here recorded in the hall of faith. Abel recorded in the hall of faith. Abel worships. Enoch walks. And here they are, commended for their faith. Now notice verse 6. One of the most encouraging verses of all in the hall of faith that says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now take a, take a moment to consider this. It is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. That is strong words. Strong words. Like imagine if I told my wife, it would be impossible to please me. Without faith. It would be impossible to please me. And then put some condition. If you don't make dinner every single night. If you don't do the laundry. You put like these conditions on there. It's impossible. That would be scary. That would be discouraging. At first, verse 6. This might be discouraging to look at. It's impossible to please God without faith. Man, I feel like I have no faith at all. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God without talent. Without ability. Without skill, without good looks, without a resume, without intellect. It doesn't say any of that. It says it is impossible to please God without what? Without? This is good news. Because faith isn't something we have to muster up. Faith begins with God. Faith isn't something that we possess. Faith is persuasion. And Jesus is the great persuader. All we have to do is believe that he simply exists. Notice that it is impossible without faith. It's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. So he's the great persuader and he's the great rewarder. Faith begins with him. He's the initiator of faith. And all we have to do is respond in action and move with him. There it is. And we're commended by God. We're pleased. We're pleasing to Him. What does it require to be pleasing to God, Almighty God, who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it by His Word? Faith. What's faith? Faith is us simply responding to the evidence that He's already given us. We don't have to come up with the evidence, we don't have to persuade ourselves, we don't have to muster up that faith. God's the originator. Of it all. He is the one who persuades. And by faith, we are now pleasing to him. We're commended by him. Simply believing that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So not only is he the one who persuades us to trust in him, to worship, to walk with him, but then there's a reward in it all. Who's the reward? He's the reward himself. Knowing him, knowing Jesus, knowing the author and the founder of our faith, as Hebrews chapter 12 mentions, faith. Faith is not a possession. Faith is persuasion. 
And as we continue over the next couple of weeks to look at Hebrews chapter 11, we will be talking about the subject of faith. And it's important for us to understand and have a biblical view of what faith is. Faith is God persuading us to simply trust and believe in him. Now, when we see God for who he is, get this. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than we may ask or think. What are you struggling in today? What area of your life are you lacking in faith? What area of your life are you discouraged in? What area of your life do you feel like you need to figure it all out? That you need to put it all together? That you need to figure out all the puzzle pieces? What burden are you carrying today? Listen, have faith. Faith, be persuaded by the great persuader to trust in him for he is the one who can do infinitely more than we can ask or think. Respond in faith. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, that you're the great persuader. We thank you that you're the great rewarder. I pray for those that are in here that are struggling, that may be discontent, that may be overwhelmed. Lord, I pray that they would see you. God, I pray that they would once again taste and see that the Lord is good. And I pray that they would be persuaded by you to place their faith in you and watch you do abundantly and exceedingly above all that we can think or ask. God, I pray that you would increase our faith in here tonight. Lord, I pray as the world wants to crowd in all different things to distract us and to fill our minds, Lord, I pray that we each day would begin to see you more clearly. And that as we see you and see the evidence for who you are, that, Lord, we would believe in you, that you would increase our faith, that we would be people of faith, and that we would walk confidently in you. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name, your church said, amen.